0: Hello, and welcome to The Poor Generation, the show that inspires the present and future generations to take a deeper look at their lives, to see how their gifts and passions can be used to pour back into the world around them. I'm your host, Alex Pasley, and in today's episode, we will talk about God's purpose for marriage with our guest, Ken Kaur. We will discuss the ins and outs of the foundation to a healthy marriage. If you are new to the podcast or tuning back in, I would like to thank you so much for stopping by. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us on Instagram, The Poor Generation. Today we are blessed to have Ken Cor on the show. He was my wife and I's premarital counselor before we got married. This class was very helpful because it was a great way to lay down a great foundation. I know today's episode will be beneficial to everyone whether you are single, dating, or married. I promise you that you will walk away with some helpful information. So please, please get a pen and some paper. Guys, I'm so excited. Ken, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, please?
1: Alex, thank you for the uh, invite to be a part of this. I like what you're doing. I think this whole idea of purpose, just in life, but especially purpose in marriage, is a very good idea. I am the Counseling and Crisis Minister here at Brentwood Baptist Church. I've been here for... 14 years now. Uh, prior to that, I was a senior pastor for 28 years, and for two years, uh, I was a campus minister in Houston, Texas. So, been doing this work for a long, long time. My wife, Denise, and I have been married now for 45 years. We have four grown adult children. So, been through a lot of life stages. Part of our time married, uh, she was a full-time mom and a career woman. Part of our time marriage, she was a full-time mom and an at-home mom, so we've seen both sides and we know some of the challenges of all of that. And so looking forward to just having an opportunity to visit a little bit about marriage and its purpose and some of God's plan and design.
0: So let's get right to it. What is God's purpose for marriage?
1: You know, we, we live in a country and a world today that sort of imagines marriage as a social construct. So I hear a lot of young adults saying, well, I don't know if I want to get married, or they do get married and then say, well, I, if, if it meets my needs and I'll I'll stay in this, and maybe, maybe not. I will tell you that marriage from the very beginning was God's idea. Go all the way back to the, the record of Genesis, and you'll see that it was God himself who said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner we know enough now alex about attachment theory to know that we need to be in relationship Uh, harvard did a study some years ago in fact it's been over 80 years now it's the longest longitudinal study in american history about adult development it's the harvard adult development study they have concluded after looking at at least three generations of young adult harvard students that the single greatest indicator of health, wellness, and happiness is the relation, your most intimate relationships. And so what that basically says, if you kind of summarize that for our conversation today, the, the wellness of your marriage is going to determine a lot about the wellness of your life. So I think it goes back to say God had a purpose from the very beginning that we need to have people that walk through life with us. And one of the things that I always tell young adult couples getting married, no one is able to predict marital success. You know, we all go into it thinking, well, you know, we we've got this made. This this marriage seems to be made in heaven. No one can predict marital success because no one knows the kinds of life difficulties and trials and challenges you are going to face. How are we going to deal with the the death of a child? Uh, my family my older brother was killed when he was 18 and I saw my mother go through a period of traumatic grief and how she and my daddy kind of negotiated their lives through that so we don't really know how that's going to impact people we don't know what it's going to be like to go through the loss of a career Uh, we don't know what it's going to be like to go through financial crisis to deal with health issues these things are coming you know life has its challenges and having someone who is your intimate partner, someone that knows you intimately and cares for you, and loves you deeply, that makes a whole difference in terms of how we're able to weather these life storms. So I'm going to go back and say I think from the very beginning God had a plan and that that plan included having a life partner and being able to do life together is pretty significant now, at least research says, in terms of my own wellness and happiness.
0: Yes, I believe that is so true. Doing life with my wife makes my life 10 times better. So why would you recommend a premarital counseling class? One of the things that
1: I think happens in premarital class is you begin the conversation. Now, I will tell you this, Alex. Most of us go into marriage really believing that we've got a handle on this. And a a lot of couples have such an idealistic distortion about what it's going to be like they really need to be in marriage for about two years. Then you know what you've got. Because <laughs> I think one of the things that happens in early marriage, you begin to to, to confront the if I only news, you know. If only knew he loved to watch football every Saturday afternoon from 11 o'clock till 10 o'clock at night. If only knew she wanted to shop at the mall, you know, for those are the kinds of things you have to live together. And then you begin to negotiate, you begin to compromise, you begin to realize what it's like to to really live life together. So the premarital class doesn't really prepare you for marriage. You've got to live that. But what it does, it begins that conversation. It gives you things that you need to begin now talking about. It, it helps you to kind of begin to know the issues that we are gonna face at some point. So we talk about things like communication. We talk about conflict. We, we look at personality inventories, the one that we use here, the Enneagram for couples. We talk about healthy sexuality. Uh, we talk about the five love lines. These are the kinds of things that we want to introduce. The other thing that I would like to do, Alex, we use licensed marriage and family therapists to teach some of these classes. We like to introduce these people because we're saying when you get to that place when you really need some marital therapy – these are people that we want to introduce you to. You've already been introduced to them. You've already heard them lead and teach. That's somebody that we have vetted that you can trust in, and you can go to. So that's sort of what I think is important for all this. That gives you a start on your marriage and gives you some resources to help.
0: So why is it so important to know your spouse's love language?
1: One of the things that we learn in the love languages is that people give and receive love in particular ways. I can be loving you in a way that I think you you want to be loved, and you might not feel the love I'm giving. And the example that I like to use in that is that um, my wife's love language is giving and receiving gifts. And so she married a husband that I grew up in a home where we didn't celebrate birthdays. And I didn't know that was important to her, to celebrate birthdays, and to get a gift for her birthday and to give her little happy gifts all along the way That was never important to me. And so I had to learn that, that giving her a small gift was meaningful and celebrate things like birthdays and Christmas. Growing up for me, we got one Christmas gift. I mean, usually it was something nice. and You get to choose what you wanted, but we didn't have gifts under the tree. Well, Denise wants lots of gifts under the tree. In fact, it's interesting. We're, we're going to visit with my son and our grandchildren for Thanksgiving. She's already bought their Christmas presents that we're taking for Thanksgiving because she wants to see them under the tree. <laughs> now, see, Alex, that's important to her. And for me to know that and understand that and be able to respond to that is huge for her. So have you heard of the, the Stanley uh, cups that people drink out of? the? So go Google Stanley cup. That's a kind of a it thing right now. So the other day, I bought her a Stanley cup for no reason, just gave it to her out of the blue. And it you would have thought I had just won the lottery. I mean, she was so excited, so thrilled to get just a, a drinking cup, but for no reason. So I was speaking her love language. And if we don't speak our spouse's love language, we'll make errors. Uh, they will feel unloved. Gary Chapman, who developed the idea of the love languages and, and wrote the book, says that we have a love tank within our side of ourselves and if our spouse is not speaking our love language at some point that love tank begins to be empty and then we become resentful if i don't give her a gift she could become resentful how did you miss that did you not know you know so and when we become resentful then we become bitter and then there's a divide in the relationship so i think it's just another way of knowing your spouse knowing exactly what they need, how can they feel loved. One of the stories that we like to tell uh, in our our Building Blocks premarital class is uh, when we were newly married, I was a brand-new pastor, pastoring my very first church, and one of my love languages is uh, words of affirmation. If I do well, I like to hear it. That's hard for her, and that's not her love language. She was teaching at that time the communications course at Auburn University, and was teaching public speaking so after a sunday morning i would say honey what'd you think of the sermon today well she didn't hear me asking for tell me i did well you know what she heard was give me some instructions so she would begin to go through all the critique of everything i need to do to improve and did it feel like love? No, it felt like criticism. Was she loving me as best as she could? Yes, she thought she was giving me exactly. In fact, in her mind, she was thinking, what a lucky man this is. How many preachers get to marry somebody who teaches public speaking you know, for a living? But that was one of those examples where what she was doing to love me did not feel like love so i think what we want to do is we want to create a relationship where we know the other person well enough and the love language is simply one of those things something like the enneagram the personalities another one of those things anything that i can do to know you better is going to help me love you better
0: yes that is true that is something that i had to learn but once i understood my wife's love language i was able to love her better and so that meant she was happy and I was happy. So what are some ways to incorporate God into your marriage? That is so critical to, you know, I'm of the opinion that we
1: all are mind, body, spirit. Uh, you can't get any one of these out of whack and, and still have a, a life of wellness. And so spirit is part of the relationship. And so I'm going to be very aware of her physical health. I'm going to be very aware of her mental and emotional health, but I also want to be very aware of her spiritual health. What can I do as a a husband and what can we do as a couple to nurture our spiritual lives together? Now, I will tell you this too, Alex, having been a senior pastor for all those years, we struggled to figure out the best way for each of us to do that. Um, We would try to do sometimes personal Bible studies together, uh, that was never a good thing for us to do. What we have discovered is is that we both have our individual prayer times, and we will share with each other what we're praying for them about. Uh, we like to have coffee every morning together. Sometimes it's 10 minutes. Sometimes it's you know it can be a little bit longer. But during that time of day, we'll talk about what we're learning in our own personal devotional lives together. We still, even now today, worship together on Sunday mornings. Uh, we try to make sure that the conversation that we're having ongoing about life, some of that conversation is going to be about our children, our grandchildren, some of that conversation could be about our work, some of that conversation also needs to be about our spiritual lives together. What is God teaching you? What is God teaching me? What do you need from me? What do I need from you? Those are the kinds of ways that we have found it best. So we corporately worship together and we nurture on the individual quiet times.
0: Yeah, that is something I need to work on more because I'm trying to figure out the balance, like you said. So what are the biblical roles that the husband and wife play?
1: You know, I think that one of the things that you see in the Bible is a, there's a lot of conversation about what, what is the wife's role in submission to her husband and the husband. I think that what we're, we're called to do is submit to each other in love. So the Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so what i see for that is my role is to love her a way that i give myself first to her i refer to this alex as partner focus uh, i need to focus on her needs not just my needs because i can always focus on what she's not doing for me and what i'm not getting out of this relationship what i need to do is turn that around and ask what does she need for me and then my needs get met The Bible also says that wives are to submit themselves to their husband and respect their husbands. Uh, I think that this idea of learning how to respect those things in him that he offers to me, how can I nurture that? As an example, by speaking the love language, I can nurture helping him grow so I can respect that. I will tell you this, part of my role here at Brentwood Baptist is the counseling minister, so I see couples in crisis all the time. And one of the things that gets couples in crisis is when they each start focusing on themselves and not the other person. So I I want to make sure that there is a kind of mutual care, mutual respect, mutual submission, and putting the other person first. If we can do that, then we've gone a long way. Now, that's assuming that this is a pretty normal, healthy relationships. A lot of relationships have become either abusive or toxic. And that's different, okay? Here's what I would recommend. One of the ways I think that we can maintain a normal, healthy relationship and live out the marriage the way that God wants us to is if if that we're constantly, maybe every five years or so, do a little bit of marriage therapy with an outside resource. I refer to that as marriage enhancement. Let's go in and help someone, the analytical third, talk to us about what they see from a completely objective perspective. How can we improve communication? How can we improve our conflict skills? How can we love each other even better than we're doing now? The problem that I see happening a lot is couples wait and too long before they seek therapy. Then those problems have become entrenched and they're much harder to change. So about every five years, as a part of my spiritual devotion, as a part of my love for you, as a part of my living out what it means to be focused on you as my spouse. Let's go in and get some marital work done.
0: So if things are going good, you still recommend to see a counselor? You know, I haven't really thought about that because maybe that will bring up something that I wasn't thinking about or she'll let me know that it's something wrong. <laughs> exactly
1: right. That's why you want to do that. Because what happens is a lot of times we don't talk about the things that bother us the most we don't We don't actually begin to make those changes sooner than later. And I give an example of that some, some time ago, uh, Denise had said to me, "Ken, are you aware of how critical you are uh, towards me?" I said, "What are you talking about?" She said, "Well, your tone just becomes very critical, and I, I think I can be critical. You know and she's telling me I was. I was not even aware of it, Alex. I had to stop, and and so give me an example, I would say. And so she would point out, you know, maybe the way I loaded the dishwasher. You just, you go in and you you don't just say, do it differently, you you pull it out and then you fuss at me because I didn't do it the way you were done. So I'm having to realize that I didn't even know I was doing that, I didn't hear that tone that she heard, I needed her to bring that to my attention. That's what happens, I think, in therapy. We're able to talk about things that we might not talk about in our normal life because we just let things go so yeah i think it's when you're when things are going well that's a good time to go let's just say put it on your schedule right now every five years now you're not going to spend a whole year in therapy because there's not a whole lot you're trying to change you're simply trying to get a new perspective someone help me see this relationship maybe in a way that i can't see what the therapist does they bring a completely objective view and they have some clinical resources that they can give you, some homework or books to read or that kind of thing uh, that can help you to, in these areas where we might need to talk.
0: So how would you recommend finding a good therapist? Like how do you know this is someone that has the best intentions for my relationship?
1: Well, you can call me first. <laughs> that's my role. A couple of things I would say, the, the, I want you to look for someone that's licensed. Then you know they have the right kind of training. Now, the the question you're gonna ask when you meet with them, are you a Christian believer? You're not necessarily asking them to do Christian therapy, quote, but you want them to have a Christian worldview. You want them to value your faith perspective. You want them to have the idea that mind, body, and spirit are all connected. So I, I'd ask that question. And then the second thing you gotta do is, you've gotta make sure that the person that you're talking to has rapport for both you and your spouse. So. If you go talk to the therapist the very after the very first meeting my recommendation is go to starbucks after that's over get a a venti and then sit down and say what did you think what did i think if either one of you says i thought this person was goofy try somebody else because you both need to have rapport with that person to make it make it work and be successful then what i'd recommend once we decide that this is a person that we like go ahead and commit to 10 sessions let's just let's just start with 10 because part of what's going to happen in therapy is you're going to bump into some resistance and change is going to be happening. And we all resist change at some level, either consciously or unconsciously. And, and you've got to work through that resistance. So I would say by the time you get to 10 you know what your therapeutic goals are. You know if it's working for you. Uh, you've worked through that initial resistance, and now you can really make some progress. I'm not saying 10 is all you're going to need, but I'm, say, I'm saying 10 is a good point to then start, stop and look. If you stop before then, you're probably going to stop the process too short. I'll give you an example of that, Alex. I often have couples that have come in and say, we're looking for therapy, and I'll, I'll ask the question, you've ever done couple therapy before? And frequently they say, yeah, we did it before. But it didn't work for us. And I'll say, how many times did you go? And they say, well, we probably went four or five times. And that's what's happening. Either they didn't have rapport with the therapist to begin with, or they're bumping into that resistance later on. And then it comes out as things like, well, this is hard. You know, I don't have time for this. I didn't know it was going to cost this much money. I really don't like that person anyway. You know, so that's the resistance piece. So, you know, find somebody that's licensed, ask if they're Christian believers, have that conversation at the very first meeting, do we both feel comfortable with this person, and then commit to 10 sessions and go.
0: So what is one piece of advice you would give to a newlywed? I would say
1: that the thing that you've got to be willing to do is to go into this relationship with a commitment. We're here, regardless what happens. We're here for you. Uh, I'm not in this as long as I'm enjoying this. I'm not in this as long as things are going well. I'm in this. We're in this together. So make that commitment early on. And then you're able to, to, to do life together. And I, I'll tell you this, Alex. I think that uh, my wife and I, our relationship actually got stronger as a couple when we were able to say to the other person, I don't even like you today. Now, what I mean by that, because there are going to be, <laughs> I know it's hard to imagine right now, but there are going to be days when you just don't even like that other person. You don't necessarily even know why. They didn't necessarily do anything. Just, I don't even like you today. But you're able to say that and know I'm not threatened that this relationship is about to end. You know, that's the commitment that you want because there are going to be those days when it gets hard. and It's going to be those days when it's going to challenge every part of you. And so being able to say it doesn't matter if I like you today or not, I'm in this. We're in this together. And then what's interesting is the next day you love him or her unconditionally. Well, how'd that happen? You know, life didn't really change all that much, but life has kind of an ebb and flow. Uh, love has an ebb and flow. And in midst of all of that, from the very beginning, I say, I'm in this together with you. We are committed. Uh, two things are required when people come in for marital therapy. If the marital therapy is going to work, it's going to require these two things. One is a commitment to the relationship. And the second thing is you've got to be willing to change. And if we'll do that, we can make marriage therapy work. That's also what you got to have when you start the marriage. Let's be committed to this and let's be willing to change.
0: Yes, that is so true. I think this is a great way to end the show. Remember, listeners, we have to be committed to our marriage and committed to our partner. Ken, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. You gave us a lot to think about. This conversation has been very helpful and has inspired me to love my wife even more and a great reminder just to keep my focus on her. Shout out to my wife. I love you and just thank you for everything that you've done. Um, Before we wrap up, I have two questions that I always ask my guests. Question one, what are the ways in which your wife pours into you?
1: Oh, wow. You know, I think the way that she pours into me the most is simply accepting me for who I am. Uh, She's given up a long time ago trying to change me. Now she's honest with me and I feel that's a way that she pours into me. She's able to tell me what she sees and what she thinks and what she knows. But I think the main thing is I just know unconditionally that she loves me. And and I now because of my love language is affirmation I still like to hear it once in a while. <laughs> But I think as long as you know that your spouse loves you and you can hear that once in a while and you feel it more than you hear it, you feel it by all the ways that they do things for you and you for them, that's probably the most important thing that she pours into me.
0: Okay. So question two, what are the ways in which you pour into your wife?
1: One of the things that we do every single morning, I mentioned a little bit ago, is we have coffee time. And in that coffee time, we ask the question, number one, what is your schedule for today? So we, we review each other's calendar each day, and then we ask the question, what do you need from me, and what do I need from you? Uh, I think that's one of the ways that I try to pour into her is that I try to make sure I know what her needs are for me today, and if I can meet those needs, I will. And if I can't, I'll say I can't. But at least she knows what she's getting from me. I don't ever want her to wonder, am I able to ask Ken for what I need and he'll, you know, be able to respond to that. We try to do that every single day. That's just part of our life and routine together.
0: That's awesome. Thank you again for sitting down with us today, Ken. Listeners, I have a couple key takeaways I want to leave you with today. First and foremost, it is important to know your partner's love language so that you can fill their love tank. A great book to read is called The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts by Gary Chapman. Every single marriage takes work, and we have to be committed to our partner every single day, even the good and bad days. Listeners, if you're still listening, I want to give you a huge thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. Please follow us on Instagram, The Poor Generation. Like, share, and comment. You can also email me. My email address is ThePoorGeneration at gmail.com. I would love to hear about your stories and if you have any questions or book recommendations please reach out to me the holidays are approaching really really fast so be mindful of the ways that you can give back to your communities like cooking a meal for a neighbor or helping out at your local shelter i want to end the show by saying that you are loved and that you do have a purpose you do have unique gifts and talents to offer this world I love you and I will see you in the next episode. That is a wrap on episode seven. Thank you so much.